everyone. I am Selena. Hello, this is Brock here. And you find us in Stockholm today again. Another episode of Plain Speaking. And today we thought we would talk a little bit about the great resignation. Um, so, Barack, maybe you can kick us off and tell us a little bit about what the great resignation is or supposed to be anyway. Yeah, and I think that it's good to it's good to tell people that we're going to have these episodes focusing on myths versus reality. Mm. So we want to start with um, great resignation. Is that does that really uh, the case all around the world, or is it like pockets of the of the talent markets? What's happening on, in in real life? So we're going to start with great resignation, but also we'll cover a few more topics in the in the next few um, episodes. So should we start with what great resignation? Well, I think everybody by now knows, right? Uh, we've we've seen so many headlines in, in in newspapers, articles. There's like a lot of um, McKinsey, HPR type of articles there, and that pretty much says the um, resignation rates, and that is specific to U.S., are high, much higher than it used to be. There, um, in some sources, it says record high, and it's going to uh, a level of 33% uh, of working uh, people in US. Now, these are obviously um, numbers from um, Labor Institute. Is that Labor Institute in, in, in US? Uh, yeah, I think the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yeah, Bureau of Labor Statistics. And then the so that's the that's the great resignation. I think as it was last November where it reached uh, four million people resigning uh, that particularly that month, and then it's just kind of a uh, becomes a rolling about forty million uh, people. So that's what is called great resignation, and it is probably a great resignation period uh, in U.S. But we also wanted to talk about how relevant that is for the rest of the world. So that's the concept of great resignation. And before I want us, you know, we, we like to get into the numbers. Well, you love to get into the numbers, but with the science. So just to ground everyone, it was this professor, uh, Anthony Klotz at Texas A&M. And he coined this in uh, an interview with Bloomberg Buzz, this great resignation. And I just think it's so interesting how it's just exploded. So it was just May 2021. Of course, it's called the great mobility, the great reset, the great reimagination, re the great attrition, all sorts of things. Um, but it's amazing how this sort of tagline has penetrated in organizations and even now our common uh, vernacular around talking about this great movement, particularly in relationship to the pandemic and shift to hybrid working. So if we and talk a little bit about myths and realities, it's good to, I think, unpack a little bit, you know, what was intended and what it actually means. What we also want to have a, a conversation around is what's going on here, because it's a, it's, I love the, the question uh, because it was uh, from a book, um, Radical Uncertainty. Whenever you come across an uncertainty with different variables, it's good to stop 
take a step back and then ask the question, what's going on here? So I think we need to do that here as well with everything that coming to our agendas with um, great resignation. We need to look at the numbers and what and ask the question. If we look at specifically in US, and I think in US in and on itself, there's a different realities in different sectors and different for different jobs. And if you look at the numbers in Europe, we don't see that great resignation yet. Mm. There are a lot of news coming in that it's just the, the great resignation will arrive to Europe. We haven't seen that yet. So I think it's safe to say that the great resignation is not a global phenomenon, but very specific to markets and even specific to industries and jobs. So I think organizations before taking any actions or focusing their attention to, they need to be aware of where this great resignation is happening. That's the first myth I think that we can highlight in terms of the great resignation is happening the same all over the world. I think that's really important because what what you're mentioning is that organizations are investing quite a bit of time and energy looking into this. And what we want to suggest is that they should be much more surgical, intentional around where these big shifts are happening and where they're not. And even with, within different populations, you uh, love to use a term, a second order effect. And I think it's very relevant here. We know that with every gesture or initiative, there's consequences. But sometimes we also ignore that there are consequences to those consequences. So maybe just for the listeners to say a little bit more about this second order effect. So they understand a little bit of the warning sign that we're giving to not just um, do what we call in the U.S. a peanut butter effect and, and spread their initiatives and interventions the same across organizations? Well, that second order effect is a, is a such a large concept. I, I first heard that from um, Professor Scott Galloway from, uh, from his podcast, Pivot. Everything that we do, especially in people functions or people-related actions in companies, they, they have a second or third order effects that we can't foresee. Um, imagine that you are, should we just go, go and go down that rabbit hole? I about think what? The, well, I mean, partially down, give the explanation because well, I, mean, okay. I think it's an important in terms of why, why we wanted to do myths and realities anyway. As an example, you're planning your succession for a critical role. And then you say, we need to get really good people from the market and then strengthen our, our succession mm. pipeline. Now you do that with all the good intentions. And then suddenly you realize that you are actually giving the, the, the organization the signal that we're not valuing internal development yep. and investing to our people. And with all of these good intentioned um, actions or policies have a longer term second or third order effect that you actually lose your good people because they believe that you're not investing internally and will look from the market. So this is a, a very important concept that as human beings, we're a little bit blind to. So mm. That's the second order effects. And that's the same thing with, uh, with um, great resignation as well. 
um, the actions that we're going to take, believing that there's a great resignation, or also the, the choice that we're going to allocate resources and energy to great resignation where there's not a big problem, will have second-order effects. Cool. Good. Hopefully that is uh, helpful. We covered that? Yeah. I think that was good enough. It was deep enough. It was good. So one of the other um, myths or, uh, I guess, truths that people talk about when they talk about grace resignation is that it's really the young workers completely driving it. Um, and I, I think that there there is, again, some truth to that. But at least some of the research that I looked at was suggesting that really these mid-career uh, individuals were actually a significant number of the population mm. making moves. And, and we see this particularly after the pandemic. So I'm curious around um, what you've seen in the organization around earlier career versus mid-career versus later on career movements. From all the uh, resignations that are happening in the in the organizations, most of them happening in the first three years of tenure. So not your broader professional life, but it's the, the first three years shows a, a, a great correlation. Obviously, correlation is not causation, but I think we can just deduct a few hypotheses from there and then actually test them. So we see at the end of their second or third year, people tend to leave uh, with a lot higher uh, rates than when they're past their 10th year in an organization. So we need to have special attention to those new joiners and that experience of coming on board and getting integrated into an organization, regardless of what level yeah. is quite critical. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. no, good summary. Yeah, mm -hmm. but also, again, this we need to have really intentional conversations with those numbers. And I think Jeff, Jeff Bezos said that, not that I'm a fan of him, but then he said that I love anecdotal experiences after I have the facts. Mm -hmm. So when we have the, the numbers and the facts, then it's also good to see some anecdotal experiences around there as well. So mm -hmm. when you have these numbers around people leaving in, in the first three years, it's good to have a conversation around what's happening there because not every resignation is a bad resignation yeah good say more about that this sort of like, the the idea about regrettable or non-regrettable departures yeah, yeah I, I think it's like um netflix and amazon amazon have, have that mm -hmm. uh, pretty much uh, ingrained in their in their way of working and that's that's basically the fact that we we want to know which of those resignations are really will be really regretted in the future so that we can actually be a lot more precise about our actions and then that goes a little bit hand in hand when you have people leaving your company in their in their first 3 years uh, it's bad on one hand side that you're investing to those people like the first 2 years they learn a lot you invest mm -hmm. a lot those people about the competencies or exp expertise that they have especially at a younger age. Um, but there's also the fact that younger generations or uh, younger junior jobs, you're expected to move a step in two to three years' time. Mm -hmm. So when you join a company and you haven't moved 
or you haven't promoted, you haven't moved ahead in two to three years time, probably as a talent, you're not very happy. Hmm. Is and that true then, at all levels or? No, no, it's a good question. I think it's, it's true more like um, entry and like junior management levels. Hmm. It heavily depends on the organization structure and then the, the um, job grading systems as well. Okay. Then usually when we're talking about, and we are focusing on like information workers here, when you join a company as a junior developer or junior analyst, in two years time, you want to be a developer or an analyst. Or if you join as a developer, you want to be a, a senior uh, developer in two to three years time. If you don't see that coming in, then people tend to leave. Now it's back to the conversation of regrettable. And maybe as an organization, you're okay with that because you haven't promoted that person for a reason. Mm. And maybe that person can do a lot better in another organization. Yeah. Or it's just a, a, a culture mismatch. So seeing after seeing those numbers, the main idea here is that it's good to have a more thoughtful conversation before rushing into conclusions. That's so interesting. I was just speaking to, to somebody and they talked about, yeah, it being locked in and you can get locked into the wrong position, the wrong employer, the wrong boss. Yeah. It's interesting. They suggested that how important or how important locked it is to have those. so depressing though. It, yeah, it was. It was. A, <laughs> well, that was sort of yeah. the intention. It was like, don't get locked in and how important it is to have those open conversations around, you know, sometimes it's, it's time for people to go. Um, yeah. And which doesn't mean that they're not a good person or even that it's not a good company uh, if we're, you know, advocating development and growth, which I think, you know, whatever you call it, the great resignation, great mobility is one of the drivers. And another one that people talk about is money. And I think that that's interesting also that it's really driving. Before we go, we, we, before we go to the reasons there, Selena, I think the... There's an interesting statistics. I think that more than 70% of the people who changed their job, so resigned and got a new job, I think it was in the US, um, were happier and were having better conditions. Now, I think that's what we want for our species, right? For our, yeah. for our society, that people get better terms and conditions, um, better bosses, better pay. So you want to talk about the, the reasons, the money? Well, I mean, I guess it's the the myths and perhaps realities. And one of them that, that gets brought up a lot in this great resignation is that people are leaving for money for, you know, huge salary increases. And uh, at least from what we're seeing, while of course the money is important, um, I think what we're seeing a lot is exactly what we were just discussing around new growth opportunities. People, I think, generally are quite pragmatic. And of course, there's a breaking point. I mean, if it has a significant impact on your on your lifestyle or those situations that you hear of, of people doubling salaries. Um, but I don't think those happen too often mm. in in reality and of course the money's important but it's it's never everything in, in my experience so True. i guess that's an important one 
in terms of the panic is that it's not just about throwing money and increasing salaries to keep those key talent, those potentially regrettable um, retention individuals happy. It's more around, I think, seeing the whole opportunity and where the growth options are for an individual and, and also how much control they have over that. Of course, we should make people make sure people are paid fairly is is always important. A more fundamental problem I have there is well, obviously compensation will be a problem and a reason why people leave. But a more fundamental problem that I have with this topic is that we don't have decent data. So you and I had a conversation around this, the the exit surveys, right? Mm. And uh, you have uh, strong opinions about it. It needs to be like redone, overhaul, needs an overhaul, is your uh, words. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I agree. I think um, not not every exit survey, but most of the exit surveys are um, self-reported with leading questions. Mm. Most of the time do not reflect the reality. Also administered at a have. very strange time once people have strange, left. 100%. Out the door. 100%. Yeah. There was this uh, beautiful, uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to look and find that, uh, beautiful Pew Search uh, survey. They are very intentional about their questions. Pay was, yes, the, the, the leading one, um, was ma as a major and a minor reason. But the second one was uh, no opportunities for advancement. That's also very expected. Right, mm. development and advancement. Uh, but the third one is felt disrespected at work, and fourth one is because of childcare issues. And there, uh, and again, disclaimer: this is this is U.S. information. Mm. But most of the companies also see pay and development opportunities as the two main um, leaving factors there. Because it's interesting, because on the complete other end of the spectrum, another big discussion point or causation of the great resignation that's talked about is that particularly during the pandemic period, people have sort of found their calling uh, and it's being driven by everyone having a higher purpose and deciding to leave companies. Again, um, I'm not sure about that. Well, that's, I mean, that's, do, you, do you have a higher purpose? Because well, that's you, you what I'm locked asking. Down, locked, down, <laughs> locked down in an apartment? Probably not. I don't know. Ergo, ergo us bringing it up here as sort of a, a myth. And, and what is the reality? So I don't know. I mean, what, what have you heard in turn, and your experience of, of, is it higher purpose? Or what is that all about? There's a scarcity of talent. And that is competent or expert talent that the organizations are after. So there's all these conversations around war for talent that you have, you and I have been a part of for the last mm. um, a decade and a half, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, what it's we from see the is 90s. The, yep. from the nineties, which is an amazing decade, but probably not for HR. Um, the, if, if you, if you look at the talent scarcity, if you, you look at pure numbers, like the number of applications per job hasn't changed. So I think it's around an average of 39 or 42 applications per job. So there's no um, 
numerical or quantity-wise uh, scarcity of talent. But companies are after good talent. That because we're in we're talking about information workers, their impact, like an 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 impact of a high performer versus an average inform, uh, performer, is a lot higher mm. than it used to be back in 1920s and and Henry Ford's and and factories. So that's why companies are looking after high performing or exceptional talent, and hence the notion of talent scarcity mm. in the market. And that's that's increasing, so that means if you are a good, skilled person in your own field, then you have more options. Hmm. Then it's easier to switch jobs, and also the demand from the market also drives a lot of freedom to actually look and find better conditions. Yeah, there was another another. Um, statistics again from us like 61% of the of the people who changed jobs said it was easy hmm. yeah another another 2025 said it was very easy so that and what was that measuring the experience of joining a new company or letting go cuz i guess finding finding a new job finding, uh, finding a new job, a new job. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Sorry, I wasn't very articulate. Yeah, yeah. I, Not so the experience of leaving a, a company or joining a new company. Okay. No. Okay, that makes more sense. Although that's uh, that that really speaks to its uh, it's the t individual market, talent market, versus 100%. organizations so in the control. We're looking at a lot of um, job openings and. Most of these job op openings are looking for a scarce talent, let's just say developers, right? Yep. Good developers. And it's such a wonderful time to be a developer, right? You have options when Absolutely. you when you feel like your your manager is not treating you well, you're not you're not um, developing yourself, you're not you're not getting enough money. You have options. Not working so on fun drives... projects. I think that's great also. True. Yeah. True. So that drives uh, those increased resignations, which is good. Also, I think it's uh, with that information workers and then their their huge impact to the outcome of the of the um, companies. The power shifted from organizations to employees, and it's, it's not like a huge shift, but it's like good enough to tilt mm. the balance. Now you can have uh, employees dictate a few policies to the companies. Uh, and that's actually beautiful to see that companies now have to work on well-being. Mm. Well-being is not a new concept, right? But suddenly every company is like saint and then like we're working on well-being. Well, why didn't you work on that 20 years ago? Now they have to work on that because there's a there's a demand for it. But isn't that one of the great beautiful. positive things of the pandemic? That's beautiful. Yeah. I beautiful. mean, if we if we try to be you know positive about some of the challenges we've been through, I think breaking the stigma around discussing mental health uh, within organizations has been a real win for us. Now, now yeah. to your point, it can't just it can't just be an app, or it just can't be a a nice marketing campaign. Um, it really needs to 
be in the decisions we're making as organizations, how, how we're organizing and how we're distributing work. So I think that that's going to be the key interesting differentiator. That's one. I think the the effects of power shift towards employees or talent is great to see in aspects like well-being. And it's going to be good because the um, wages will increase there. And it's a good wealth transfer from corporations to people. I like that. Mm. Um, also, you're going to see a lot of good drive towards future work and how we're going to define the atmosphere or the the office work or the remote work going forward that will have such a positive effect on those policies okay so now you're like creeping on the edge of of another concept that has actually been around for for much longer i think it was about 2009 the whole gig economy um that concept came out and it was actually an editor from the New Yorker, I believe, who coined that really thinking about knowledge workers and their ability to be doing independent projects outside of organizations. Now, we've been talking about that for a long time, but are we really in this gig economy? Have we really seen that materialize as, as it was articulated? And again, mm. all the buzz was about that. I think there's a there's a darker side to the gig economy. Well, the the gig economy um, has different definitions, or it's it's an umbrella definition for different types of work. Right? I think uh, we need to also be clear about what we mean by gig economy because it has like these very small um, ad hoc. Um, tasks that people do, like a mechanical Turk, that they get to get paid uh, for like very small tasks. There are uh, Uber and Lyft drivers that are called uh, gig workers, uh, and there's more like a, a project-based work that you can see in applications like Fever. And there's a longer-term like freelancers that go and work with the companies that are like information workers they are like mostly four different categories there. And I think when we talk and when these conversations take place about gig economy, they're either for like Uber and, and Lyft drivers stemming from US again. And I think there was a, there was a law in, in, in California around that um, and a conversation around that. Or it's again coming from Silicon Valley about um, freelance consultant workers that work for Googles and then Twitters of that world. And I think one of them is pretty much like the, the Uber Lyft driver is a bigger topic about mm. equality and uh, social security. Well, I think there's two things. First, uh, I think it's also interesting, a big term that mm. when it first came out, it, it also caught fire quite quickly, similar to the Great yeah. Resignation. And there was a lot of speculation around um, people sort of leaving organizations en masse to be these independent freelance workers. Mm. And there was a lot of questions in HR functions around, okay, how are we going to manage these gig workers and, and leaving? And, and what does the future of work really hold for us? And now we're in an interesting nuance of that with 
uh, discussions around this significant mobility that we're we're seeing in pockets and that is being um, assessed as something that we're seeing as a global phenomenon. But we still see that um, policymakers, local legislation, taxes um, aren't able to keep up with perhaps the mobility that even individuals within organizations would like to keep um, and certainly not making it particularly easy for these um, potential gig workers to actually extract yeah. themselves from organizations. So I think it's interesting to see how um, how much attention was brought to that whole gig economy. And absolutely, it was more for my intention on the on the knowledge workers. I think the yeah. the other the other workforce that you talked about, that's a pretty broad, well, I think ethical and responsible business yeah. practice question that we we won't dive in this time. But in this this piece, the the gig economy, the great resignation, future of work, I think they're in the same ecosystem of how, as organizations, we need to be mindful and how much influence we have on local governments and legislators. Yes, and about the gig economy, uh, I think even if we uh, specifically focus on knowledge workers, mm. there's a darker side there as well. So there's a there's Say also more. an 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 ethical. A question there as well, because it's also known that some of those uh, big tech companies in U.S. are preferring gig economy type of freelancers because they don't want to pay benefits, they don't want to be tied to a, a a permanent contract. So it's a little bit more. It's a it's a little bit of a darker side to that. Uh, to actually about cost saving or having people um, easier to fire and hire. Mm. So I think that gig economy is not always all good for knowledge workers either. Mm. I think there are there are good advantages there when these freelancers, if they are really good at what they're doing, they earn a lot for the short mm. term and they have to they have to liberty to choose interesting projects so i'm going to work in this 8 or 10 months in this project and then after 10 months i'm off to a maybe i'll have 3 months of break and i'll i'll head to another project so that's actually uh, that's that's a really really good uh, concept if you're really good at your job given provided that there's a good social net yeah. there as well for yeah. the longer term, because some of those people are a little bit young and humans are not good at projecting the future. So they don't think about their pensions and their, 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 their long-term future. All that boring that stuff is, about saving money and planning when you, for... <laughs> when you, when you get to understand over 40, um, <laughs> Suddenly, you you start to think about your pension and the the that aspect of gig economy is a little bit darker. Mm. So if there's a if there's a beautiful social net in the society that they live, from a company perspective, there's a whole question around belonging, long term investment. There are also questions there as well. I don't think again, like everything that is coming to our uh, LinkedIn feed. We shouldn't be rushing towards those hype without 
measuring or evaluating pros and mm. cons. Which I think takes me at least to this whole piece around, is it a fad or are we, are we seeing indications of mobility that probably don't need to be under an umbrella of great resignation? If we're not seeing huge hordes of people go into, you know, freelance knowledge workers, even if they're leaving an organization, they're going to another, which is why I, I connect a little bit more with, you know, perhaps the great mobility. And and I tend to think that it's not necessarily a fad of just post-pandemic, but that people have had the opportunity to, A, see that they can work in a different way. Uh, again, I think another really positive thing about the pandemic was our ability to understand what can do be done virtually. I had some pretty strongly held beliefs before the pandemic around work that couldn't get done uh, virtually. So developing trust, developing intimacy, um, getting to know new colleagues and really doing innovation uh, together, I was proven incorrect. Now, I do think there's still time that really uh, innovation, for example, gets accelerated by us being together. And, and I have a preference of holding a pen and being in front of a whiteboard. But I do think another myth that we have to say is that this is not sort of a, a period of time or a fad. I think what we're seeing is that uh, the general employee population are more interested in having a positive, what you call frictionless employee experience. And mm. that this uh, intentionality of taking control of my own career and growing and giving myself the opportunity to be in an organization with people where I have a sense of belonging and that I can really have an impact. I think that's certainly not something that has just happened with the great resignation or even the pandemic, but I actually see it as a really positive trend that has accelerated during this time. 100%, I agree. And it's again, organizations seeing that a good knowledge worker makes a huge difference and that power shift also mm. enabled the talent saying that well maybe we don't want to commute anymore yeah i mean good luck saying that after the second industrial revolution like it's like <laughs> the, no way but now the power has shifted and it's beautiful to see uh, when you talk about mobility there, and I think there's still a lot to be done on a legislation platform. And I think even though companies are willing to be a, little, a, a lot more flexible around geographical locations or the, the, the hours, the legislation, as always, comes too far behind. Mm. Even within European Union, where you see that's like most of the legislations are pretty advanced compared to the rest of the world. Even there, you see that the tax issues increasing, the uh, mobility, multi-location working is not easy. So those things with pandemic coming from outside European Union and getting a visa became a lot more difficult. So I think there's, there's a lot to be done on a legislation front. And I think the whole pandemic 
taught us that our leaders or governments are not as competent as we think they are. So also there's a, I'm, I'm not, I'm not keeping my optimism too high there. So I think it needs a little bit of more push. Uh, the legislators are more intentional to increase that mobility. And I'm not sure if they want it or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, though, that leaders and organizations will push in service of creating that better employee experience. So I'm going to keep my optimism for a little while that I yeah. hope that they're pushing to work with local governments because... I do think it will be a critical part of us being able to retain great talent in organizations going forward. Focus on employee experience is going to come more and more when we, when the power shift from the organizations to the talent accelerates. And I think it's going to accelerate for the next 10 to 20 years. Then probably at some point in time, a, a decent AI will kick in power from uh, even knowledge workers will decrease significantly. Hmm. I hope as a society or as a species, we have figured out how to um, engage that challenge. Uh, but for the next decade or two, the power will shift more towards the um, employees. So with that, I think uh, we've covered great resignation and gig economy today. And future work to be covered, I guess, yep. in the next episode? I think so. I think just to summarize, I think hopefully we got across that great resignation is um, not just a truth that's all over the place. Really encourage people to work with your analytics team and find out what the numbers are so you're making uh, thoughtful, intentional investments both with um, your money, but also your time in organizations and encouraging your leaders, again, to be mindful and thinking about creating a great employee experience, which we talked about, of course, is around paying people in a fair and ethical way. But it's also really about creating that experience of growth where people can progress and feel that they have some control over their next step. So the great resignation, maybe we'll just call it uh, investing in continued mobility and growth, um, which certainly I think will be a trend for a long time to come. Yeah, hopefully so. Beautiful summary. All right. We'll see each other in the next episode. Next episode. Thanks for today.